Deuteronomy chapter 6. I enjoyed this study. <clears throat> what, what was, here's an odd thing is, so often I'm studying and I'm, I'm really tired. I'm, I'm tired. Um, I was not last night. And I should have been really tired. And I don't, I, I, <laughs> I'm not trying to claim some miraculous thing. Maybe, maybe uh, the caffeine stuck in my system a little longer. I don't know. Uh, but, but I was excited when I was studying this. Uh, amen. John chapter 11, verse 43. <clears throat> Pardon my throat. <clears> throat. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Let me just picture the visual. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith saith unto him, loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Brother Eric, oh, I'm convenient you walked in. <laughs> Would you pray for the message, brother? <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Many believed but went on their way. That reminds me of the lost person who hears the gospel but rejects it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the exact picture that we see. That, that's exactly what it is. They might, even, they might even believe the gospel but not accept it. There's a difference. Many people say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in Jesus. They might even believe that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, uh, for a sacrifice for all the sins of mankind. And that they need to put their trust in him, but not accept that. There's a difference. Look at verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Now notice right out of the gate, they're acknowledging that Jesus is doing miracles. And by the way, this wasn't his first miracle. He's been doing miracles everywhere he goes. But here he's rising Lazarus from the grave. Uh, it was four days, wasn't it? Yeah, four days. Uh, what did his sister say? Uh, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> like, it's been four days. But Lord raised him from the grave. People witnessed that and still didn't believe. How hard of a heart do you have to have? I feel like that's just insane and crazy, but, but I, I dare would, uh, if I were to reflect on my own sinful heart, it may not be much harder than mine is, if we were to be honest. But really, that should cause us to just, to see a miracle like that, you think that caused anybody in the vicinity of seeing what happened, get on the, flat on their face, uh, worshiping the Lord for who he is because of what he had just done. Because who else could do that except for God himself? Many believed, but many, some of them went and they, they told the chief priest, God, what are we going to do? He's doing miracles. What are we going to do about this man, Jesus? I, uh, 
I got to thinking about, see, as the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they got this council together. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, what do you do about this man, Jesus? And I got to thinking, these are, these are, these are like the religious folk that are supposed to like be experts on the Torah, experts on Old Testament. But yet they've got to figure out something to do with this Jesus person. Their, their, their whole claim is they're waiting for the Messiah to come. God's going to send his son. And there's all kinds of prophecies saying, hey, the, this is going to be the specifics about the, 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 the son of God that's going to come. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And I got to thinking about that. And I just did a quick little search, not even in, not even in depth. I found 68 uh, prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. Just I mean, we're not even getting, like, deep. I just, uh, boom, boom, 68 prophecies. Just, just a few. I just wrote a few down. Uh, that he would come out of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. He would come from the line of Jesse and line of King David, Isaiah 11. He would appear in Galilee and be enlightened to the Gentiles, Isaiah 9. He would perform miracles, hello, Isaiah 5. He would appear after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Daniel 9. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. He would be hated without cause, Psalm 69. And you would think that these people that are experts in the law, the high priest, I'm the highly priest, Mm-mm, come to me, for, and I will tell you about spiritual things, that are supposed to be looking for this Christ to come, they didn't know his name would be Jesus, or Yahweh, or, or, or Yahweh they knew, but not Joseph. They weren't thinking that. But all of a sudden, here's this person that's performing all these miracles, and did nobody in that whole council and all those religious priests think, one of them, hey, wait a minute, there's somebody that's performing miracles. Wait a minute, he's of the tribe of Jesse and King Dick. He came out of Bethlehem? Like, wow, he meets all the criteria of the Old Testament prophecies. But that doesn't come up at all. And I don't think it mattered to them. I don't, they acknowledged that he did miracles. I believe with all my heart, and I am not Calvinist in the least, but I believe with all my heart that there are some people that have such a hard heart that, that if Jesus were up here preaching right now, they, they'd still deny him. No matter what, if Jesus literally rose Lazarus in front of them, they'd go tell other people about it. Yeah, look for that. We've got to get rid of them because they're doing something we don't like. Look at verse 47 again. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man do with miracles? That council was probably the Sanhedrin. If you don't know, the Sanhedrin is a group of uh, elite uh, Jews made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. There's 71 of them, one, uh, one of them which being a president. And their job was to make all the major decisions for the Jewish people as a whole. And just a reminder that the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other. The Pharisees were like the legalist of the legalist of the legalist, and then called them legalists, or then called them liberal. I mean, they were legalists to the nth degree. Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. Pharisees believed in an afterlife. Pharisees believed in miracles. Pharisees were supposedly experts in the law. But because they were experts in the law and they were uh, extreme legalism, they would they would look at the law and in to, to the letter, to, to, to whatever the law says to the nth degree, we're going to stick to that no matter what common sense tells us. No matter what the context is, we're going to go to the letter of the law. 
You say, What's, what are you saying? Perfect example, and this is something that I've dealt with in my life. People that look at uh, uh, Solomon and Ecclesiastes, uh, talking about um, the, the whole chapter, all is vanity, uh, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. In the whole chapter, it's talking about the vanity of man and, and the pride of man. But there's people, Christians out there, that love the Lord. But they're legalists of legalists. And they're going to take the letter and be like, no, no, that verse says there's nothing new under the sun. We've got to take God's word because that's God's word and it's perfect. Yeah, amen it is, but you've got to look at the context. They're going to say there's nothing new under the sun. That means they had smartphones, they had Apple phones in the past. You just can't see it because it was destroyed by a flood or something. And you think, I'm kidding, I'm not. They think that there's airplanes and airports and whatever thing. There's nothing new under the sun. They say, but, but that's not what the context was telling at all. Talking about the pride of man. Talking about man, the pride. Nothing new to, for man under the sun. But that's what the Pharisees would do with the law. That's what the Pharisees would do with the law. Um, jump to... Um, um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The, <clears throat> I want to just hit on this for a moment. The, 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 the Pharisees were also middle class. This is where the Sadducees were an upper class. It's, it's, it's significant when you're studying your Bible to know that. They, they were almost always middle class. And they kept a prayer box that would be on their head when they were praying. Uh, uh, there would be one in their hand and there would be one on their forehead that they would strap there. It was called the Teflon or the uh, phylacteries. You say, well, why would they do that? Because the letter of the law said so. Say, I don't remember reading that. I know because they took it completely out of context, just like people still do today. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. What's the context of Scripture? Loving the Lord with everything that you have, right? And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. He's making it real clear. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Now, by the letter of the law, you're not allowed um, to talk to your children unless you're telling them about the Lord. By the letter of the law. Um, when you're sitting down, you have to be talking about the Lord by the letter of the law. That's not what the Lord's saying. He's just saying all the time, talk to your children, all the time to be thinking about, all the time be dwelling on it. Verse 8, and look, and that's where they get it. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and thy gates. That's the same thing that Christians will do today. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the word of God. We've got to take it literally as it is. And that's how you get a lot of crazy doctrines. You get a lot of crazy doctrines because that you take one verse and you're not looking at the context. But the Pharisees were legalists, the legalists. They, were, they would make rules about rules. And in those little prayer boxes that, that they had, there was rules about those, even though Scripture didn't say anything about putting a prayer box on your head. But they're going to make rules about that. And this is what they had to do. And the, like the, the straps of the prayer uh, box Tiflin or the phylacteries, if I'm, I'm probably butchering it, uh, uh, the, the strap had to be a certain length, not too long and not too short. They had to be black. 
They, they, they had to be made out of a, a, the skin of a kosher animal. The, the parchment paper had to be made from a certain thing. And in the, in the, the box on their head had to have four compartments, not three and not two. And the one in your hand had all the same requirements, but only one, one scripture could be in your hand in one compartment. And they had these written down rules that are just complete, ridiculous, legalist stuff because they're looking at the letter of the law. The Sadducees, however, don't believe in miracles. They, they don't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were religious, but really just in word only. We see a lot of that today. The, the, they were, the Sadducees were a higher class. Uh, they, were, they were often a major player in the political realm. So when you have this group called the Sanhedrin, which the elite of the elite, it was a combination of the, the, it was called the Sanhedrin, it was a combination of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it was almost always outnumbered Sadducees to the Pharisees. But nonetheless, that's what we are. Paul stood before them. Jesus stood before them. Look back at our text, verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? If, if, we, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Their motives were plain and they were out in the open. It didn't matter that this man had just raised somebody from the dead. He was a problem and he was an inconvenient truth for us. It didn't matter who he was. It didn't matter that he was the son of God. It didn't matter that he met all the criteria of the coming Messiah that we're supposed to be looking for. He was inconvenient. That movie kept ringing in my mind. Was it in the 90s? Um, you know, the guy who invented the internet uh, came out with the movie, An Inconvenient Truth, about global warming. It's a joke. He didn't invent the internet. But Jesus was an inconvenient truth to their way of life in a big way. And they were worried that, man, and they're saying it right in the open, right in front of all these leaders. Hey, man, if, if, if he's performing these miracles, everyone's going to believe on him. And you know what? We're going to lose our position of power because this man, Jesus, will now have authority over us. And the Romans won't like that. They're, gonna, they're not going to let us keep our place of authority. So all of a sudden, it's all about them and losing... Uh, what happens in politics, and we see it all the time. It's not right or wrong is like a second, third, fourth issue. Uh, if they get power and position, that's number one. We see that play it out all the time. Amen. Um, 49, verse 49, this is where I want to get to. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, that means he's, he's not been a high priest for very long, he said unto them, ye know nothing at all. This is the elite of the elite. These are the high class. I mean, this is like the Sanhedrin. I mean, that's like going before Congress, you know, in the president and standing in front of him saying, y'all know nothing at all. According to what I've read, whether it's true or not, I tend to believe it because it just makes sense. But <clears throat> writings tell us and commentaries tell us and Josephus tells us that the Sadducees were known for their arrogance and over, talking over people. <clears throat> well, that plays into this. Uh, the high priest Caiaphas was a Sadducee. 
I'm refraining from saying anything about how he was said, you see. I've been refraining that all morning. Now it's out. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Amen. Rachel's just shaking her head. She's so embarrassed. And she's literally trying to bleep it out of the message right now. Amen. <clears throat> um, but that would play right in with Caiaphas. He's, he's being a Sadducee, and he stands in front of this entire council, and he begins the, the, this, this what, what, what is called the prophecy of Caiaphas. And he says, you guys don't know anything. He says, you know nothing at all. And here it is, verse 50, the prophecy of Caiaphas. He says, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. He didn't even know the prophecy that he was speaking of. It's, what does that sound like? Uh, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Peter 3, 9, it sounds like this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but everlasting life. We know that Jesus gave his life so that we could all come to repentance. And here is Caiaphas, this Sadducee, high life, uh, better than everybody else attitude. It was his job, by the way, he would condemn people to death all the time. That was part of his duties as a high priest. Here he is in his antichrist state of mind proclaiming who Jesus really is and what his plan is for the world. That was not his intentions at all. Caiaphas meant that to be a cold and harsh statement of judgment. But what he didn't know is that he was proclaiming the promise and the purpose and the plan. That made me think of, remember Pilate, when he wrote that sign above Jesus, said, here is Jesus, King of the Jews. He meant it for mockery. He meant it to be cold and harsh. But it's actually a proclamation of who he was and what he was here for. God used Nebuchadnezzar, remember? God used him to execute judgment on his people. God used Pharaoh. He would, God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh would end up driving uh, his people out. That's what needed to happen. God allowed it to happen. God used Balaam, a mercenary. Uh, um, uh, I, I want to say a charlatan and a false prophet, but that's not true. He was a prophet of God. He just abused that. And, and, and he would... He would prophesy for money, and it, he's, a, he's a wicked, wicked man. But God even used him in his wickedness when he was trying to do wickedness uh, to help his people, and it was, it's, it's awesome. God even used his donkey to speak the words of the Lord. Amen. Look at John chapter 11, verse 50. Yeah, it's, 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 can you write 50? Nor can, here, here's his prophecy. He says, Nor consider that it is an expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And if there's any question of what he was talking about, John wrote, And this spake he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together and one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. We know the rest of the story. Caiaphas condemned him. And in fact, turn there, Matthew chapter 26. We'll be there in a moment. Matthew 26. 
It'll be our last scripture of the morning to turn to. They put Jesus on a cross and crucified him. And Caiaphas, the high priest, probably, just probably, continued living a good life according to the world's standards. Probably. <clears throat> Jesus was inconvenient to Caiaphas. He was inconvenient. To the Jewish people that didn't want to give their lives over to a Savior that loved them. Jesus was inconvenient for all of them. You say, what does that have to do with me? Because the same exact thing is happening today. Jesus is an inconvenient truth. Because we want to live our lives. We want to we want to we want to do what we want to do. He's inconvenient when it's lunchtime with the guys at work and it comes time to pray for food. <coughs> it's in, 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 inconvenient cuz you're going to lo- might lose status among your peers. Are you worried that listening to the word of God through daily study is inconvenient to your daily routine? We know who Jesus is. We know who he is. He's the savior of the world. We know he, 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 he man, he did all those miracles in, in, in his ministry. And in, in, while he was in Jesus incarnate, he did all these miracles. But he's still doing miracles by saving people all the time. All the time. I believe Jesus is still in the miracle business. Not just salvation, but other things in our lives. We can always debate that, and that's fine. But we know who Jesus is, yet we don't want to serve him because it's not convenient for us. We know that he can give us direction and peace and contentment. We know that. We know that. But we don't let it sink in. We know that, and we keep it right here. And like Caiaphas, it's an inconvenient truth because we don't want to give all of ourselves. Lord, I want to give you most of myself, but not all of it. Look at Matthew chapter 26, 57. We'll fast forward in the story a little bit. <coughs> Matthew chapter 26, verse 57. And they, that had laid, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Jump down to verse 62. And the high priest arose, that's Caiaphas, and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto, unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, that's Caiaphas, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how Caiaphas is feeling right now? And burning in, in hell. Saying he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold now ye have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said he is guilty of death. Look at this. Verse 67. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. 
And what the council didn't realize was that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who claimed to be so religious, they had literally just fulfilled yet another prophecy of the Old Testament. Isaiah 50, verse 6, you can look at it later, says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. They literally just fulfilled more and more prophecy, the prophecies that they claimed to worship. Boy, there's a lot of religious folks out there that claim to love the Lord, but they don't know what the Word of God says. They don't really care what the Word of God says as long as, long as it furthers their position or their power. Or maybe, or maybe they just want to come to church to get that monkey off their back to feel better. There was an interesting archaeological find in Jerusalem in 1990. And boy, this got my attention. They, they, were, they were building a water park in Jerusalem, which sounds crazy. Like, what? That's Jerusalem, right? But it's modern day. It's modern day, right? So they're building a water park. And this tractor uh, was doing something. His tractor fell through this uh, uh, tomb. And in the tomb was all these uh, ossuaries. And in and, 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 and these ossuaries, by the way, are, I learned, <clears throat> are just boxes, not coffins. They're b- literally bone boxes. And... and People of high regard or wealthy, um, after they, w- they would have two funerals. They'd be buried um, normally. And then after a year, the family would have another ceremonial service. They'd dig up their bones. They'd literally put their bones in a box, literally. <clears throat> that was a practice only for a very short amount of time during the, uh, the reign of uh, Herod the Great in about uh, 70 A.D. after the destruction of Jerusalem. A very short amount of time in history did they make these ossuaries, okay? And they found some ossuaries in these tombs, and and grave robbers had been in there already, and so bones were scattered out, and there's like nothing there. But there was a tomb that they discovered that that, that was connected, but it was hidden that grave robbers didn't, didn't get to. And in that tomb, there was two ossuaries. One was real plain, and another one was extremely ornate. You, I almost put it up on the screen today. Uh, you can look, at, look it up online. Um, very ornate. You talk about like, like, like an ornate rosette, something that Jimmy would do, like an ornate rosetta, but like all different and nonstop. I mean, like somebody had a whole lot of money to throw at this, a lot of time. They're, they're always made out of a, a limestone or lime something. Uh, very ornate, very colorful. And they find this, Okay. And um, there's gold coins in it. There's pottery in it. Uh, the gold coins are dated to right, right then, right when ossuaries used to be, right at the time of Jesus, right during that time frame. And on the sides of it, on either side, it said, uh, Joseph Caiaphas. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Uh, the Bible never says anything about Joseph. Never does. The Bible only references Caiaphas. <clears throat> Well, what's interesting is, I want to get it right. We know the historian Josephus, right? Um, very reliable, not the word of God, not inspired. This is, this is outside biblical information, not inspired. But everything that we found that Josephus uh, writes uh, has been very accurate and supports the Bible. All over. He was not a Christian. 
doesn't appear to be a Christian, but he wrote about what he saw. And in, in, in his writings, it's called the Flavius Josephus Antiquities. In chapter 18, verse 95, Josephus writes, and I just pulled out this one phrase, Joseph, who was called Caiaphas of the high priesthood. It is highly likely that those are the remains of Caiaphas, the, 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 the high priest that unknowingly prophesied about the purpose and plan of Jesus Christ himself. And according to the world's standards, Caiaphas lived a great life. Yeah, he denied Jesus for who he is, despite all the miracles that were evident. Can we turn to one more scripture? I was just going to read it, but can we turn there and we'll close with that verse. 1 John 2, 2. Right before Revelation, 3 John, June Revelation, go to 1 John 2, 2. As I was studying this, I kept thinking about 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power of from such turn away. I'll never forget the, the, the funeral of... Mm, funeral of a loved one and I had a family member that was just talking about God talking about God and God's goodness and how good God is and me and Rachel went home thinking man this guy he's been an atheist all of his life and all of a sudden he's talking about the goodness of God wow maybe he got a savior we're going to talk to him tomorrow more about it well when the next day came and my dad was preaching the funeral and preaching salvation just like the family member asked him to was to preach salvation that same person who was the day before talking about the goodness of God was literally heckling my dad, saying, Save it for Sunday, preacher. What had nothing to do with the gospel. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. There is nothing new under the sun. Man is vanity. All is vanity. We've got a lot of creature comforts far better than Caiaphas ever had. The fact still remains, is Jesus an inconvenient truth for us? To the lost person, is he an inconvenient truth? We don't want to get saved, we're loving our life too much. Hey, to the backslidden Christian, is Jesus an inconvenient truth that, hey, I, I, don't, I don't want to surrender fully to him, I just want uh, faith enough for salvation? I think we find that a lot. Look at First John 2, 2, we'll close here. And he is a propitiation for our sins. That's not talking about Caiaphas. That's not talking about Paul the Apostle. That's talking about Jesus. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is, that is the prophecy of Caiaphas in its fullest. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus only loves, or that God only loves his children. That is so false. He, he's not only the propitiation for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. What's that mean? For every lost person out there, Jesus died for them. Why? You don't die for somebody that you don't love. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were what? Yet sinners. Here a preacher preached just a couple weeks ago. God doesn't love sinners. That's not what my Bible says. 
God loves sinners. And I thank God that he loves sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I thank God for that. But I'm still a sinner. And I pray that I don't let Jesus become an inconvenient truth in my life, even as a pastor, as a father, as a worker going to work, as a friend, as a husband. I pray that he's not an inconvenient truth for me, but yet I'll, like Ben taught in Sunday school this morning, I have an unfeigned faith showing charity. Charity is love and action. Let's close. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray, Lord, that